Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. This week on the Strike Zone podcast, Major League Baseball is heading across the pond. How will the game be received in London this weekend as the Yankees and Red Sox square off? And what does it mean potentially for baseball in Nashville with Major League Baseball forging new trails in other cities and countries? Plus, it's a national championship once again for Vanderbilt baseball. We'll talk about that and hear from a star outfielder from the Vandy boys. And once again, the New York Mets making headlines in the worst way possible. This is the Strike Zone Podcast. Hit well out towards right field. This one climbing at altitude. This one is gone. With news and notes from around Major League Baseball. Myers drives one in the air down the line and left. It's got a chance. Gone. Rounding the bases with the hottest topics from all 30 teams. Swung on, drilled to deep right. It is high, it is far, it is gone. It's a three-run home run for the Santino. And here's your host, Will Bowling. Hey there, and welcome into the Strike Zone podcast. I'm your host, Will Bowling. Thanks so much for joining us wherever you're listening, on Apple, on Google, on Stitcher. We're glad you found us here at 104.5 The Zone. Big conversation for this week is going to involve the London series. We're going to get to that in our heart of the order coming up in just a few minutes. The Yankees and the Red Sox squaring off across the pond in the London Olympic Stadium this upcoming weekend. And uh, it's going to be a fun weekend for Major League Baseball. And a big topic we want to get into about that may also have a local impact. Major League Baseball is looking for new territory to infiltrate. But could Nashville maybe be on that list? One player says that it might be a possibility now that London is also going to host Major League Baseball. If you're new here to the show, welcome. First of all, glad to have you with us. This show comes out before every weekend series. Sometimes it's a Thursday, sometimes it's a Friday. It just so happens to be a Friday this week. And we will go through... The big topics of Major League Baseball like we would in a baseball game. And we're going to start with the opener. A couple of innings, get our arms loosened up, get our brains into baseball mode. These are a couple of big topics to start off with here in the beginning of Episode 3. The Vanderbilt Commodores, once again, are national champions. And I'd be remiss if I didn't start the show talking about Tim Corbin and his program and what an impressive job that the Commodores have done once again. Mason Hickman gave an excellent start for the Commodores in Wednesday's clincher over Michigan. But you go down the lineup of this group, and it's just an incredible team. You've got... Pat DeMarco, J.J. Blade, Stephen Scott, Harrison Ray, and Philip Clark all contributing with RBIs in Wednesday's national championship victory over the Cinderella story, Michigan Wolverines. 
Ethan Paul, he added a sacrifice fly, and he was a big member of this team over the past couple of seasons. I got to catch up with him yesterday at the Vanderbilt National Championship celebration. Here's my entire chat here with Ethan Paul. Ethan, what an amazing crowd here to celebrate your guys' national championship. We'll start with the scene here today. What does it mean to you to see all this black and gold here and all the fan support as you guys get back from Omaha? Oh, it means everything. I mean, when you have a fan base like we do here at Vandy, it gives you energy, it gives you passion, you know, it makes you really feel excited about just not just the current, uh, the present moment, but also the future for what's coming. I'll ask you the same thing I asked Mason. I know Coach Corbin said that he knew this was a special group back in December when he got the report cards back from this team. When did you know that this is a group that is capable of doing something like winning a national championship? Uh, I'd, I mean, I would agree in the fall. You know, you'd, you get an idea of what your team is like during the early starts of practice. And I think that as a group, we've really we've really represented ourselves well, but not just on the field, but off as well. You know, you talk, your course talk about the grades and how we – how we carry ourselves off the field that goes a long way and it's just those small details that add up that make you know the difference in championship teams on, on sports center last night scott van pelt calls you guys the kings of college baseball you know you look at the pipeline from vanderbilt to the major leagues how would you describe the legacy of what vanderbilt baseball has become with a second national championship i think that uh you know as much as it's nice to be called the pipeline or the gold standard and stuff like that I think we're not. That's not like the uh, the main focus. I think what we're trying to do is just maximize each other's you know character and just our human personalities. I think that as a group, our our main goal isn't to be just great baseball players. We want to be great humans too. So um, I think you know we don't focus too much on what people say about us, even though it is a positive and we you know it's a humbling to be called that. But um, to to answer the question, I think our main focus is just on what we need to do as humans and baseball players, just to you know. Be the best and be the best of our ability. Uh, a lot of people think that winning an SEC championship is just as hard, if not harder, than winning an NCAA championship in college baseball. How did the SEC schedule and that SEC tournament prepare you guys to not only make a run to Omaha but also bring home the championship? It, you know, it's the gauntlet. People describe it as the gauntlet. It's, it's, you know, in my opinion, I am obviously biased, but it's the best conference in the country. So, you get to play SEC opponents every weekend. You get to face guys that are. You know, the top of their game, the top of the, in the country, you, you get ready for experiences like Omaha. So the fact that we were able to go through the SEC, have success, play a strong schedule, and then, you know, play in that tournament and do well, it means a lot. I mean, it was a good, good experience for Omaha and um, playing in big scenarios for us. Finally, two championships now for Tim Corbin. What can you say about the legacy and the standard that he has also created here at Vandy? Oh, I mean, he's, he's outstanding. He's, he's a role model. He's a teacher. He's a leader. He's, you know, he's everything that you'd want in a coach and a leader of a program. So, um, you know, he's right there with us. He doesn't just say it. He does it himself. So I think that's that's something that really is the cause for his consistency here. You know, he doesn't he doesn't uh, it's not just coming from one side. You know, he's there with us and he's he's always there helping us when we need when we're down, giving us or celebrating us when we're up. So um, I can't say enough good things about him. That's Ethan Paul. Ethan, congratulations on the championship. Thank you very much. Tell you what, that's an impressive representation of Vanderbilt University right there. If you're a Vandy fan listening to this right now, there is no better representative for not only your program, but your university than those comments right there. And I love what he says, too, about the legacy of that team. Hey, we, you know, yeah, we want to be as good as we can be, but it's not about being the best ever or, or even the championships. It's about being the best every single day and improving on and off the field. And that 
to me, sounds a lot like a, a, a Tim Corbin clone right there. So uh, really cool stuff from Ethan Paul from Vanderbilt. Congratulations, you guys. Uh, certainly, uh, as was said on SportsCenter the other day, uh, ha- have really become the kings, the gold standard, pun intended, in, uh, in college baseball. Well, a lot of those guys are, are going to be pros. J.J. Blade, of course, Kumar Rocker, the talented freshman. He'll be an ace in a couple of seasons in Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. But as we transition back to the pros... It looks like the Atlanta Braves were going to come away with three out of four uh, up at Wrigley Field. In fact, former Vanderbilt Commodore Dansby Swanson, he had a big day yesterday with uh, a pair of RBIs and a double uh, early on in that game. Braves got up to a 6-1 to one lead on the Chicago Cubs, but couldn't finish it off. Bryce Wilson, who was making uh, his first start since April, I do believe, uh, sputtered a bit down the stretch in that one. Uh, the Braves ended up relinquishing their five-run lead uh, on a Jason Hayward triple in the middle of that contest that tied it up at six. And then a Victor Caratini two-run homer put up put Chicago up eight to six. But it was a familiar face coming out of the bullpen, and the Braves, it's their own fault for not signing him themselves. Craig Kimbrell struck out Freddie Freeman. Here's how it sounded from Lynn Casper on the Cubs television network. Ground ball to first. Said, thanks, big boy. Became a spectator. Yeah, Freeman crossed him up, tried to pull that ball, hit it pretty well down the line. Rizzo was positioned well and just wins that race to the bag. He looks up, sees Kimball's not going to be there in time, so the sprint is on. That stadium was electric. And Freddie could have tied the game. Uh, give credit to the defense because uh, that ball that you heard right there was hit down the first base line quickly. And if that thing gets into the corner in right field, Swanson and Acuna are coming home and that game's tied. So in the first opportunity for Karen Kimbrell to get a save, he's given a big tip of the cap to Anthony Rizzo for helping him out and an incredible diving play to dive back to the bag and tag the first base bag there by Rizzo as well. Um, that was a big series, though. Uh, it, uncharacteristic mistakes in the bullpen for the Atlanta Braves, which that's so weird to say. Uh, <laughs> if you know me, you know I've been very critical of the Braves bullpen. Uh, well, because who isn't? Anybody who knows baseball and has a you know eyes to watch um, it can be critical of the way the Braves have managed their bullpen over the past couple of seasons. That's a bullpen now that in the month of June had the best ERA in Major League Baseball. So an uncharacteristically bad day uh, for Josh Tomlin, who was fantastic in a uh, a late win in Washington. Um, that was last Sunday now. But the Braves are going to be fine, and that team is for real. They gave up a lead there. Uh, they're going to walk away wanting more from that series and saying, man, I, I, think, I think they could have probably gotten three out of four. But they'll take a split on the road in Wrigley. Uh, I was actually up there on Monday for game one of that series, and I'll I'll talk about that in our closer topic uh, later on in the show. Hey, well, now Shohei Otani, he's not the only two-way player in Major League Baseball. And again, another good college baseball tie-in. If uh, you like college baseball, you probably remember the name Brendan McKay, a two-way pitcher um, who is serving as a designated hitter for the Tampa Bay Rays 
in the minors. So he's going to be called up, and he's going to start Saturday's game against the Texas Rangers, according um, to ESPN's Jeff Passan on Thursday. McKay was the fourth overall pick out of Louisville in the 2017 draft. He started his professional career playing first to pitching and hitting. Uh, the Rays took his first baseman's glove away from him, though, in an effort to just simplify his focus on pitching and hitting. Um, kind of similar to what the Angels have done with Otani. 23 years old, left-hander is a big guy. Split time between AA and AAA this year. Uh, for AA, the Montgomery Biscuits, one of the best names in minor league baseball. He went 3-0 and with a 1.30 ERA, striking out 62 in 41 and two-thirds. And he was a star of Tampa Bay's spring training as well. Promoted to Durham last month, and McKay since then has gone 3-0 and with a 108 ERA, striking out 26 in 25 innings, spanning five appearances and four starts. Heck, at the very least, that's a bullpen arm and a pinch hitter where, you know, it's kind of like having a bullpen for your, uh, your at-bats too, right? I mean, it... it that, that's that's a heck of a luxury. McKay is going to have a future in this game, whether it's as a starter, as a closer, uh, reliever, you name it. But um, it opens up a can of worms that I love for baseball. And I know we're at a spot in baseball where we're probably moving towards having a universal designated hitter between the National League and American League. I wish we could go the other way. I, I enjoy when athletes are athletes, right? You know, pitchers, they get to hit. And they, they can show their real athleticism. I, I like that about the game. But it looks like we'll move the other way. But, Brennan McKay, you're the end of a dying age. More power to you. Excited to see you play. Into the heart of the order. And we're going to take the heart of the order all the way across the pond. We're headed to London like the Red Sox and Yankees are. And I'll tell you what. I've, the, the field dimensions in London's Olympic Stadium, Giancarlo Stanton and Glaber Torres and Gary Sanchez might be hitting the ball back across the pond, back to America with how small the stadium is. Have you looked at these dimensions yet? I mean, it's it's a little ridiculous, but it's going to be cool. Um, so dimensions from home plate will be 330 feet to the foul poles. 385 feet to center field with a 16-foot fence. So, featuring one of the best power-hitting teams in baseball history, the London series is a, is a good idea. I like it. Uh, I'll start with that. I think it's a good idea to expose the game to places that don't normally get to see baseball. And with the center field wall and London's Olympic Stadium as short as it is, 385 feet, um, it, it, it's going to make Yankee Stadium look like the polo grounds. <laughs> I mean, of course, you remember the polo grounds. It's got about a 450-foot wall in, in dead center. Yankee Stadium is kind of like playing in a Little League park as it is. I mean, those guys could adjust their swings and swing to the short porch and, and left or right. So it, it's going to be the true experience for Major League Baseball, and for the fans in London, you're going to get to see Yankees-Red Sox. The, the first big thing here is they've designed and developed this stadium to give a little bit of a different product to the British fans. 
if you put Stanton, Judge, Torres, Sanchez in a stadium that small, you're going to entice some fans with some big home runs. And that's what, when players were asked, and I'll get to this in a minute, ESPN.com had a story this week where players were asked, hey, what, what do you want the game to look like? What do you want fans to see out of this game? And I don't remember quite who it was. I think it was Xander. I hope it's not a 3 nothing game. You know, I hope they get to see 9-8. to eight. And uh, I, I think that's great. I think that's great for baseball. I think it's great for London to get the true experience of the long ball of Yankees-Red Sox. And that's exactly what they're going to get. It's the first time in history that Yankees-Red Sox are going to be played on turf. And Jim Small, the MLB Senior Vice President of International Business, said that it, he wasn't too worried about the end result to USA Today this past week. I said, is it perfect? No. But the challenge with baseball is fitting a baseball field into a facility. You can't put it on a soccer field like you can in the NFL. There's not enough room, so that limits us where we can go, end quote. He said, go on, would go on to say we're comfortable with the dimensions. The great thing about baseball is there's no cookie-cutter setup. And, of course, the two examples being Yankee Stadium with the short right field and the pesky pole in Fenway. And he's exactly right. I don't understand the baseball purists that are upset with sending the game to London, sending the game's biggest rivalry to London, because those baseball purists are also the same people that are complaining that baseball's dying and that baseball's not appealing to a different demographic. Well, here's your demographic right here. The NFL and the NBA have done masterful jobs at bringing in different fan bases and bringing in a different culture to the game. And when you look back at the history of Major League Baseball, there's quite a bit of history in England. According to recent research by the Washington Post, baseball actually started in England. Crazy. I feel a bit, uh, a bit cheated. This is America's pastime. No, it's not. Recent discovery of a diary mentions a game of baseball in the very English area of Surrey Way back in 1755, long before the first recorded competitive baseball game in Hoboken, New Jersey, in 1846. Now, columnist Matthew Engel wrote in The Guardian that Britons have taken to the NFL and the NBA, but they still find baseball to be the most alien sport of all. Alien. Okay, all right, you can watch the NFL, you can watch the NBA, but baseball, that's where they draw the line. But is that really true? Darby County, a soccer team that was on the fringe of promotion of the English Premier League this past year, they built a stadium called the Baseball Ground back in 1889. In fact, the Darby County Nine, as it was called back in the day, they won the English Baseball Cup back in 1897, according to the football website. Now, Darby County, who's played soccer forever, they played in the stadium called the Baseball Ground until about 15 years ago. Everton Football Club, a big team that a lot of Americans support. Tim Howard played there, Landon Donovan. Well, Everton chairman John Moore, he had a passion for baseball. And in the 1930s, that had become America's game. 
So baseball was frequently played at Goodison Park, where Everton calls home in the Liverpool area. And the Moors spent a lot of time and money establishing an 18-team baseball league in the greater Liverpool area. Now, the soccer club's website says that he managed to convince many soccer players throughout England to take up baseball as well. He even established a little-remembered entity, according to the Washington Post, known as the National Baseball Association. And, of course, Everton, they were the league champions. So if you're a Blues fan, listen to this. Congratulations. You can claim that title. You don't have any recently, but you get a baseball one day. (laughs) Now, Matt McDowell, a lecturer on sports policy at the University of Edinburgh, said that efforts to form a British league filled by British players have not worked in part because the sport is largely ignored by the press and the media in England, which regards it as an inferior to cricket and too closely linked to rounders, which is a game for kids. said, you know, it's very tough to have any kind of collective history of baseball in Britain. You've got leagues, and you still have leagues, but what you don't have is any kind of collective memory of it because there's been no real national championship, and it's a sport that gets no national coverage on TV. Now, all that being said, this game, this th- these two games this weekend are maybe going to sell out the Olympic Stadium. And maybe it's curiosity. Maybe it's just wanting to check out, you know, what are those Americans talking about in, in these World Series? You know, what's going on here? What's what's the deal with baseball? Matthew Engel goes on to say in The Guardian that the, the Yankees are parking their tanks on the lawn of the English summer right in the midst of the Cricket World Cup, too. So across town on Saturday, Australia and New Zealand – will be at Lord's, another cricket stadium. On Sunday, England and India will also be playing. So baseball, having nabbed the largest stadium, mind you, bigger than these two cricket stadiums, they will draw more for each game than both cricket matches combined. And that's a part of a wider project of intended conquest, as Ingle says. Conquest for baseball to infiltrate Europe and infiltrate a market that has been a baseball market since the 1930s. So maybe baseball is doing a good thing. Maybe we should embrace the newness of a European series every single year. It can work with off days. Yankees and Red Sox, they get an off day on Friday. You give them an off day on Monday to travel back and forth. You're playing again Tuesday. You can't convince me that a direct flight from New York or Boston to London and then getting back and having an off day after is worse than playing a 7 o'clock game in San Diego local time and then having a noon game in New York the next day or even a 7 o'clock game in New York the next day. Baseball is built for travel. These are players that have grown up in the minor leagues taking bus trips across a region of the United States and these bus trips, I've been on these minor league baseball trips where sometimes at the best, you're getting back at 5 a.m. the next morning and you're at the ballpark for batting practice at 2 p.m. that day for another game, another series of getting started. So I don't understand fans that are, oh, the travel, oh, this, so that Major League Baseball needs to find a way to continue making this work because the players are in. Zach Britton. New York Yankees reliever, 
says, you know, I would honestly love a regular season game going to the Dominican. I think that'd be awesome. Now, safety concerns there are a, a huge issue right now, especially with the David Ortiz story. But, you know, he said that that's a place with strong ties to the talent they've pumped into baseball. He said, I know they've gone to Mexico, but I'm talking about how we've got guys from Panama, Nicaragua. That would really be cool. Hopefully a spot like that that has active players in the big leagues. The turnout would be incredible. That's a good point. Venezuela would be a great place to go. And all these places have soccer stadiums that you can use for baseball. And really, you talk about Central and South America, they're going to have baseball stadiums too with how much they're playing it down there. Curacao would be an incredible spot. You think of Angelton Simmons, the guy from Curacao. But Venezuela, the entire Atlanta Braves lineup, Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna, Johan Camargo, Venezuela guys, Colombia. I mean, the list goes on and on. Marcus Walden has the interesting point here, and this is where I want to tie this back in locally to Nashville. Marcus Walden told ESPN.com, he said, I think Vancouver's a great spot. Going back to Montreal, said, I know they were talking about Mexico City, and I still think if we had a team in Mexico City, it would be a tough travel no matter where you're playing for. And I think that's a fair point. Then Marcus Walden says Nashville. He says expansion team-wise, Vegas, Charlotte, Nashville. He says, quote, I think Nashville would be a good spot for the southern part of our country, but outside of the U.S., I really don't know. Going there and playing one or two games is pretty cool, but actually having a team there is a different situation it's going to be a tough travel for those five days for us, end quote. Well, he's exactly right on the tough travel. And, and yeah, as I said earlier, they can handle it. I mean, you can you can deal with it once a year. You can't put a team there, and that's what the NFL has also realized, that that's probably not practical. But should Nashville start to try to look at getting a trial run and hosting Major League Baseball? And I think that is the first step to having Major League Baseball in Nashville, Tennessee. You've got to put on a show. Nashville Soccer Club got MLS because there were 56,000 fans in Nissan Stadium two summers ago for Manchester City and Tottenham. But Nashville's already shown in, in one small audition that there's a market here for Major League Baseball. The Rangers and Sounds, they had an exhibition back in late March and that's still the first Tennessee Park attendance record of 11,824. To put that in perspective, that's more than the Marlins drew on average a season ago. Granted, it's one game, but you're in a minor league stadium playing a minor league team, and that's a new organization making its way to the first time. You know, this is not like the Birmingham Barons who have been a Chicago White Sox affiliate forever, and then the White Sox come to town, and it's a White Sox city, and you get excited. No, that that's not what... The situation is, I mean, this is a new franchise that came to Nashville and drew almost 12,000. So baseball's willingness to grow to new places like London to infiltrate markets that aren't usually baseball markets is a positive for the hopes of baseball in Nashville. At this point, I think it's going to happen in the next 20 years. Forget the issues with an owner. And, and put the stuff with the stadium on. I get that right now, in the short term, it's probably not a practical thing. If the league wants to bring a team to Nashville, they're going to figure it out. 
and maybe that's a conversation we have in 2025 and 2030. But quite frankly, if Major League Baseball wants it bad enough, it's going to happen. It's what we talked about with Mick Gillespie on episode two, if you haven't checked that out yet. It wouldn't be easy, and it might not happen soon, but baseball desperately wants to buy apartments in new towns, pay the rent in new economies, and they want to meet all the neighbors as they carry their boxes in. But Nashville, be ready when they come knocking. Knock on the door of London, they're coming here too. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Into our seventh inning stretch for today. Did you hear the uh, the Cookie Monster the other day? <laughs> Did Wrigley Field the Cookie Monster saying, "Take me out to the ball game." You know what? Let's let's get audio of this. This is this is audio the other day of instead of root 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 for the Cubbies, root 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 for the Cookies. Today's topic for the stretch, ladies and gentlemen, the New York Mets. Goodness sakes. I mean, it, it seems like anytime they're in they're in the news at this point, it's not a good thing. Not a good thing. Mickey Calloway and Jason Vargas, long story short, they screamed at a reporter from Newsday um, or uh, Newsweek, whatever it is, and uh, was not happy. It is Newsday. Got it right the first time. Not happy about... Something that he said. Uh, here's Mickey Calloway on the incident. You know, I can't control the actions of others or the words of others, but I can always control my reaction to those things. So I think everybody um, deserves respect, um, regardless of job title or role. And, uh, you know, I hope people can understand that this is a tough game played by passionate competitors. And I hope moving forward that we can all do our jobs um, honestly, critically, understand that uh, other people are involved. I mean, does it get any more Mets than this? I mean, between the off the field injuries, the clubhouse blow ups, I mean, for crying out loud, Uena Cespedes is on the IL right now because of a four wheeler accident. I mean, it, it, the Mets, I, I, I don't know what the, the comparison is in another sport. Probably the Jets, honestly. I mean, they, they, they can't. Stay out of their own way. Uh, Vargas was restrained following a, another bullpen loss to the Chicago Cubs last Sunday in Wrigley Field. And it, he called it an unfortunate distraction the next day on Monday. Says, you know, it was an unfortunate confrontation. Uh, I, I don't think all the information is really out there, he says. He says, quote, I don't think this is a time to get into that, but I think that anybody that knows me Anybody that has played with me, there's never been a situation like that. So to think it happened out of the blue, it's foolish. Well, it's also foolish to drop an F-bomb on a reporter in the middle of a clubhouse 
and yell at your sports information guys when your your, your media relations guys when they don't take him out and immediately kick him out. And, and this is probably a larger topic for another day on media relations and, um, quite frankly, North Korean like relations between teams and reporters. But when you've got players attacking reporters and just berating them for an opinion they have, you know that they're living way too rent-free in your heads. And if you want to start winning baseball games, if you want to start actually putting together performances where your bullpen doesn't blow a lead in the seventh inning, maybe you shouldn't think about what a Newsday reporter said about you in the back of your head. Because if you're worried about throwing strikes and not what Jim from the Post has to say about your start, well, maybe you're going to actually throw more strikes. Don't let the mainstream media in New York dictate the way that you act in a clubhouse after a loss. That was your fault. Because whoever the guy was from Newsday, he didn't throw a single strike. He didn't throw a stringle, single ball. He didn't hit a ball. That was you, Jason. Oh, and by the way, in six and one-third, you still gave up two runs. You may have struck out ten, but you gave up two runs, and your team could have won without those two runs. So don't blame a reporter for your own shortcomings and the fact that you play for the New York Mets. Yep, there he is, Craig Kimbrell. Go ahead and rub it in. <laughs> oh, man. I, I was growing up listening to Kimbrell running out like this and the, the crowd going crazy. I, I've been a Braves fan my whole life. It, that hurt yesterday. It, it hurt. And I know that it probably didn't make sense for Alex Anthopoulos of the Braves to pay Kimbrell what he got, but it hurt, all right? It doesn't have to make sense. It just hurt. It did. But that was an atmosphere I was right in the middle of Monday. That's that's the, the topic I want to get into here for our final conversation. Wrigley Field. It, it was cool. Um, thankful for the opportunity to get up there and, and really had a good time. Really enjoyed getting to see Wrigleyville, getting to just kind of take a lap around the stadium uh, did not enjoy the the result. Braves got killed. Um, but the aura and the legend of Wrigley Field is as advertised. And that's how I want to start my my comments here, my takeaways from Wrigley. Um, very cool, a lot of history there. Uh, the, the comparison I made before I went in was it feels like SEC football. Uh, if you've been to Gainesville, uh, you know that you kind of make a turn and you see the Jumbotron for... Um, Florida's football stadium for Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. And then it, the stadium kind of sinks down a little bit in Gainesville into the stands, right? So, like, the Jumbotron is on the regular level of the sidewalk in the street, and then you've got to go down into the stadium. Now, I'm not saying that's what it was like, but you kind of round a corner, and then boom, it's kind of out of nowhere. Um, that's the best way I can describe Wrigley. You get off the, you get off the L train at... Addison, and it's just right there. And you've got 
you know, houses, apartments. You got some bars. There's a crazy party scene out on Clark and Addison after games. Um, it kind of just hits you out of nowhere. It's really cool. So you you walk into the stadium. I walk to my right, and traditional concession stands. Um, you know, you've got all the traditional stuff. It, it looks like it's. It looks like you've just kind of gone back in time to about the 1930s, back when they were playing baseball in England too. Um, you you kind of go back in time and you step out and that first step up, you take the stairs up, and I was sitting down the first baseline, about 20 rows up, pretty good seats, and it just kind of hits you. And the sun was setting, sun was out for maybe the first inning and a half, and you just kind of take in you know, the sounds of the bleachers, the the smells, the everything, and you kind of can't believe you're there the first time because, oh, my gosh, this is a Wrigley Field. I mean, I can't believe it. Now, and the next part of this, I don't want to be taken as a negative. This is not sour grapes of a Braves fan in Wrigley. You know, I, I, I loved it. I appreciated it. But kind of after those two or three innings, that just kind of wears off. You just kind of want to watch baseball. And I don't think that's being negative as it is just after a couple innings, the game starts and, you know, there's not a box score anywhere with hits, runs, and errors to know when something's an error. It took me about three innings to find where the miles per hour was was for pitches. Um, the new LCD screens, you know, the new screens look great. The Jumbotrons are, are great. They I, I do like how they, they make them green to make them look like the traditional just green scoreboards that has pa- that have panels in them. But it, it and at that point as the sun goes down, you're sitting in the dark cuz the lights there uh, don't really light up the stands at all. It's up the field fine, but it's not really a great place to just kind of sit and see the game really well. So after a couple innings, you can't really see the ball all that well. It's dark. It and, and my comparison for that aspect of it is exactly like the Rose Bowl out in California. Uh, the The slant of the stands is is not very steep. It gradually goes up, and you're just kind of sitting in the dark watching baseball. But it was fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, certainly thankful for the opportunity to get there. I would do it again. I uh, hope I can get back there and maybe see a win next time. But uh, a really cool place. Um, Want to get to see more ballparks. Heading back down to Atlanta for the July 4th series against the Phillies again, but it is uh it's it's certainly a cool spot. Well thanks so much for joining us here on episode three of the Strike Zone podcast. Much more coming from us here at 1045 the Zone. Check us out on 1045thezone.com. You can also now subscribe to the Strike Zone as its own page on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and search the Strike Zone podcast, hit subscribe, all these shows will automatically go right to your phone every time that we publish a new episode. But until next time, enjoy the games this weekend. Enjoy the London series and we'll bowling 